We're going to be reading Isaiah 43 and verse number 19. And I'm just by way of prayer request, I want to ask you to remember Sister Cruz. For con- she had a surgery recently, and uh, we want to pray her speedy recovery as well as her son, Samuel Cruz. Uh, just pray that his surgery uh, and the recovery goes well. We want to just continue to lift them up in prayer and support them in love and prayer this morning. So if you want to remember that this week, throughout your week, please do so. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? Even I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert uh, to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and we thank you for your word. We praise you, God, that you are here You are the same God that has provided throughout the centuries, throughout the times. In the word that we read of people needing you, you were there to provide. Lord, you're the same God that's provided for me and the same that's provided for many here this morning that can testify to your greatness, your love, and your power. We pray once again, God, that you would show yourself strong this morning and that you'd reveal yourself through your word. Let your spirit manifest itself and help us to respond to what you have to say today. We give you the praise the thanks, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's many stories about people who have gotten lost in the desert. Some were rescued and others did not survive. But usually they all died of the same reason. Most of them died for lack of water. That being lost in the desert, chances are they did not die from from starvation, but the first thing that took them was thirst, dehydration. In a harsh environment, it's difficult to survive, like in a desert. Uh, And and generally, you have about three hours to survive without shelter, and depending on the circumstances, you know, if you're thinking of like a snowy environment, very cold, wintry, if you don't have adequate thermal wear, you're just in a jeans and shirt or something like that, then chances are you have about three hours to find shelter, to get warm somehow before the cold hypothermia takes you. If you're in a desert, you probably have longer because your body can withstand the heat a little bit better than than the cold. However, heat stroke is a real thing. After three days, you will need water or you will perish. If you can make it for those few days surviving on water that you find or that you bring with you, you can survive beyond those three days. But after about three weeks, you're going to really be suffering from starvation. And however, despite this possible rule, some people have even survived on as much as eight days without enough water. So it's a general rule, three days, but but often people can push that you know, surviving on little things here and there. There's a a man by the name of Ed Rosenthal, a very interesting story. He went for a hike, and uh, he went, he was 
just doing a short trail of about 6.5 kilometers. And he had done this trail many times before, yet he, he neglected to bring enough water with him because he said, well, I'm going on the same trail I know, and I'm, I, I know how long it's going to take me to do it. I'm going to do my trail and then come back to my car, and I'll be totally fine. So he didn't bring extra water with him, and uh, he got kind of carried away looking here and there and admiring the beauty of the, the area that he was in. And he took a turn in one canyon and then off in another. And a few miles down the road, he looked around and he says, I don't know where I am. Later on, he reported he didn't, he didn't know why he turned off the trail. He don't know. He didn't understand what possessed him to leave the trail. He had so often traveled, but he, whatever the case was, he ended up in a place he did not know with nothing to drink. He tried doing some of the old survival tactics, uh, uh, drinking his urine, but he couldn't, he couldn't really do that. It wasn't working for him. And in fact, it's actually recommended you don't do that in those kinds of situations. And he tried to suck moisture out of a plant. He, he heard that you can, you can grab one of those cactus plants and break it open and try to suck some moisture out. But he, he couldn't, he could, was taking too much effort to get the water out of this plant. And so he gave up. And after about a few days, he gave up completely suffering from sunburns, heat stroke, and decided that this was going to be his end. So he, he took all of his belongings that he carried with him and put them in a circle around himself, which is kind of an interesting thing to do. He just surrounded himself with his belongings. And then he began to write a message to his family on the brim of his hat, knowing that it wasn't going to be long before he perished. And eventually... He was about to pass away, but he, he began to pray, and he asked God, please send some rain. Please, please, please send me something. Help me. He tried to signal with the foil blanket. He lit flares at night with no one coming, and on the sixth day, he was totally slumped over and ready to just perish. But luckily, by, by the grace of God, a helicopter who had been looking for him passed over where he was. And he mustered up enough strength to wave and signal the helicopter. And he was saved miraculously from his situation. And, and it's, you know, kind of terrifying to hear that story. You can actually watch him tell it himself on YouTube. And uh, they, they show little reenactments of, uh, his travels in the desert, and man, it is just terrifying thinking that you could just you could be on a trail that you knew so well and make a wrong turn and completely lose your way for days on end and almost perishing in the middle of the desert. But all of that story is is meant for us this morning is to just draw our attention to the reality that that sometimes we can find ourselves making a wrong turn and getting completely lost. In, in circumstances and situations, making a wrong decision and going down the wrong path and all of a sudden finding ourselves in a place that we did not want to be in. Also, this, this story signifies for us the reality of, of, uh, of a harsh desert climate will bring about the, the blessing of being thirsty. How, how many of you have gone for a run or done some kind of exercise and you didn't bring any water with you and it was at the end of this 
you know, exercising or, or hard work or run that you did that you came back to the house and you're just like, man, I could drink a bucket of water right now and just chug it back and like drink 28 ounces in, in three seconds flat. Just so thirsty. I've been that thirsty. So I can understand this idea of, of thirst. And, and I'm reading the verse here in Isaiah 43, and God says, Behold, I will do a new thing. I love it when God says he's going to do a new thing. I love that God is not stuck in a rut. You think that for someone who's existed since before the time began, he's, he's done it all. He's seen it all. He, he's, he's created everything. There's creatures that exist today that we don't even, we've never explored, we don't understand fully, and God knows all of them. He, he understands them. So for him to say, I'm going to do a new thing, that's pretty significant. It's one thing for me to say I'm going to do a new thing because there's lots that I haven't explored, lots that I haven't seen, and lots that I haven't done. But for God to say I'm going to do a new thing, that's pretty significant. That's pretty significant. I mean, he's the one who spoke the world into existence. He's the one who's created man out of the dust of the ground. He's seen everything. He knows about planets that we could never understand. What scientists send a little, uh, uh, you know, a little disposable camera out into outer space and take a few snapshots of this planet or that planet. I know it's more than a disposable camera, but, you know, in comparison to God, who, who exists on all planes and in every place and can see everything in its, in its uh, uh, you know, basic form. For God to say, I'm going to do a new thing, that's pretty significant. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put rivers in the desert. I'm going to do something that's not natural to see. It's not natural to see a river running through a desert. It's it's natural to see a river running through a tundra. It's natural to see a river running through perhaps a forested area or even just a plain, a, a grassy area. It's normal to see a river running through a mountain or through a canyon. But for a river to run through a desert, that's, that's odd. That's, that's different. That's unique. And God is saying, I'm going to do something that is not natural. I'm going to do something that is that is beyond what your understanding and what your education and what your your past experience has led you to believe or accept. I'm going to run a river through a desert. When we look at this passage of scripture, there's two ways that you can read the book of Isaiah. The first is through just the face value. God is saying, I'm going to do this miracle. I'm going to cause a restoration. I'm going to cause something that was dead and dry and hot and barren to come to life. And what God is speaking of initially is, is restoring the people of Israel back to their place where they were with him before. I'm going to bring them back to their land. I'm going to restore them back to a, a, a prosperous place. But, but God is also talking supernaturally about us in this passage. He's not just talking about the restoration of Israel, while that is true. He's also speaking of a spiritual truth that can be realized in every human being, regardless of their, their Jewish heritage or Gentile heritage. It doesn't really matter. See, sometimes we can go through stuff in life and it seems like a desert. It seems dry and parched. Nothing of value that's growing. It seems bleak and repetitive. If you look at a desert, it's, 
shifting and changing. Sand dunes are, 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 are moving around with the changing of the wind. And, and it's harsh. It's difficult to survive there. And the only thing that you can really do is seek for water. It's not really coming together for you. Life can sometimes be a lot like that. You can be rich with all the wealth in the world and still be lacking what you really need. It's actually staggering to look at the people who have received the Lotto 649 jackpots of the world. Do, do, do yourself a favor. Look that up and, uh, and go, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to say one way or the other. That's not really what this message is about. All I have to say is if you, if you do win the Lotto, make sure you pay your tithes. If you're going to do it, well, make, make sure you pay your tithes. That's all I got to say. But, but you just look at the people that go out there and, 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 and win the lottery. They, they win those millions of dollars. It's not but three or four years before they are in more debt than they were before they won the lottery. And that's the old adage uh, uh, my, one of my first pastors ever said, Brother, Brother B.J. Church, money's not your problem. The amount of money that's in your bank account is not really your problem because if you had the millions, your problems would still be there. Money won't purchase your problems. Money won't purchase the answer to your situations. And you can look at people who have the multi-billion dollar houses that are still unhappy. The suicide rate among millionaires is not less than the suicide rate among people who are poor. It's not any different because money does not solve your problems. Suicide rates among the rich and famous, drug addictions among the rich and famous, is, it's, almost, it's, it's almost on par. You just It's there because richness and fame and fortune and all of these things that the world promises will, will, will satisfy, and if you could just do it, you're going to make it. That's not going to make the difference in your life. You can marry the spouse of your dreams and still be lonely. You can marry the most attractive person on the face of the planet and wake up next to a bear the next morning. You, you, it's not going to solve your problems. You can have the best job in the world and still go home feeling unsatisfied. You could be promoted to the highest place in the office and still feel inadequate, still struggle with emotions and, and mental illness. You can, be, you can drink until you're numb. You can, you can uh, become drunk to the point where you don't feel anything, but eventually you regain your senses and that, that, that old, those old feelings come back and drive you right back into that addiction all over again. You can get high on a drug to just crash after that and realize that you're in the same place you were. I remember hearing a testimony of a guy who said I was basically drunk from the time I was 13 until about when I was about 30 or 40 years old. And he testified of his deliverance from alcohol and he said, I realized that when I finally came off the alcoholism for a period, a long period of time, he said, I began to have trouble with absolute uncontrollable rage that he had never had before. He had never had this problem. And he went to get help for it. And the, the people that were helping him through this said, basically what's happened, sir, 
is you've frozen your emotional development at the age of 13. And while your body is about close to 40 years of age, your emotional and mental development is frozen at 13. And he said, that's exactly when I started to get drunk every day until today. What does that tell you? That simply says that alcohol is not going to solve the issue. It's not going to answer the problem, but it's only going to stay the reality of that situation for a time until you can come back to that issue. Life can be like a desert, relentless, relentless. You can put it off for a time. You can press pause on it for two and a half hours and watch your favorite shows. You can watch your favorite movie and escape life for a while. And while that may not be inherently terrible or bad, but eventually the movie comes to an end and you realize uh, there is no Superman and there is no Spider-Man that's going to come and save the day. Iron Man's not going to fly in and defeat your enemies for you. And nobody's going to snap their finger and everything go back to normal again, right? There's no magic wand that's going to be waved over your life. Eventually you come back to the harsh reality that life can sometimes feel a lot like a desert. I might even go as far as to say you can come to church, you can have the best church friends, you can have the best church experiences, and still be empty. Because coming to church does not guarantee that you're drinking from the right source of water. Coming to church and singing the right songs and hearing the right messages does not guarantee that everything's going to be hunky-dory when you go home. Because God is not just found in the church building. He's not just found in the church experience, but he's found when you go seeking and looking for him for yourself. Isaiah 41, verse 17 says, When the poor and needy search for water, there is none, and their tongue are parched from thirst. God says, Then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. Because it's not God's will that you go around drinking from pool after pool. It's not God's will that you go looking for, for, for the source of life in everything other than himself. It's not God's will that you go around thirsty drinking from this water barrel and that water barrel from this experience and that experience and leaving unsatisfied. God says, and I will answer. I will never abandon them. I will quench their thirst is what he's trying to say. He said in verse 13, I will open up rivers from the high plateaus. I will give them the fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I am doing this so that all who see this miracle will understand what it means that it is the Lord who has done this. In other words, God says, I'm going to take the barrenness and the brokenness that everybody said nothing good's going to come out of this thing. Why do you think Jesus was born in Bethlehem and then became known as Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. Do you know what that means? Nazareth was the armpit of the civilized world at that time. If you came from Nazareth, you said, uh, someone said, hey, where are you from? You say, oh, um, I'm from Nazareth. They go, their first response to you would be, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
This was, this was like the first reaction. You haven't even had a chance to prove yourself. You haven't even had a chance to demonstrate your abilities, your talents, or anything else. And they're already judging you by where you come from and what city you grew up in and what your family was all about. And, and why do you think Jesus became known as Jesus of Nazareth? Because Jesus wanted everyone to know that it doesn't matter where you come from. God can still make something good come out of Nazareth. God can still make something good come out of the desert. God is not handicapped to your situation. I don't care if it's been 40 years and you've been in the same situation, in the same circumstance, facing the same issues, the same mental health struggles, and the same addictions and the same problems. God says, I will not abandon you. I will open up rivers in the high places, and they're going to flow down to you. I'm going to cause a spring to flow up right in the middle of your situation. And not only that, I'm going to plant trees in your place uh, so that the good that comes out of your situation will last far beyond your lifetime. Uh, the good that will be planted in your life uh, will produce fruits and, and seeds for future generations. God said, this is what I like to do. I'm here to preach some message to somebody. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't, do you know how old Moses was when God called him to go to the children of Israel? You, you, you watch Movies like The Prince of Egypt or The Ten Commandments, and you think, well, Moses was somewhere around 35, 40 when he, when he had that burning bush experience. But when you read the Bible, Moses was 80 years old when God called him from the desert to go back to Israel for the first, he was 80. He was 8-0, A-T, when God called him to go back to Israel to deliver the people from their captor. In Egypt. Doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. God can cause a river to flow in your life. Jesus promised in John chapter 4, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. Jesus was talking to a woman at a well who had, who had tried relationship after relationship, after relationship, and it came up empty. She kept trying to find love and hope in the, the various men that, that frequented her city. She had had five husbands that had either died or left her, or she left them, doesn't really say. She had drank from the well of life and came up thirsty. She went to the well of love, and it did not produce the beautiful, magical experiences that all of the soap operas, and, well, maybe soap operas is bad, but the love flicks, you know what I mean? We're at the, the chick flicks, thank you, thank you. The chick flicks, right? You know, at the end of the story, everybody's happy, and the movie ends, and you think, man, they just go on having good experience after good experience, Right? And this, this did not pan out for her. She, she was broken. She had had five husbands, and none of them really hit the mark for her. And Jesus meets her at the well and says, you can keep drinking from this well of life, but you're going to be thirsty every time you pull up a new bucket. Every time, you know, they say new broom sweeps clean. There's that old expression, new broom sweeps clean, but eventually the bristles break off, and new broom becomes old broom. And doesn't sweep clean anymore. So you got to get a new broom. 
You get, it's, it's an adage, it's an expression that's talking about you, get, you, you find your new love and you, you get into that new relationship and they are just, they are just the peach, uh, they are the apple of your eye, they do everything right, but then one day they wake up and you realize they are human just like the last broom I got. So I got to either figure out how to, how to deal with this broom or get a new one. And, and that's what this woman was. She was just in the cycle of repeat after repeat after repeat. And it was not satisfying her. Jesus said, if you drink of this well, you keep coming back to this well to satisfy your soul. It's not going to satisfy. And that sounds depressing. That sounds hopeless. You could hear that and go, so what am I supposed to do? Jesus gave her the answer. He said, but if you drink of the water that I will give you, then you'll never be thirsty again. You will find what you are looking for in me. Notice what Jesus said. It's not a single drink. Verse 14, but whosoever drinketh. Verse 14, whosoever drinketh. Whosoever takes a drink of the water, I will give him shall never be. Go back to the other one, if you will, if you don't mind. Uh, not the Amplified, just the King James. Yeah, thank you. Whosoever drinketh, and, and drinketh, there's a little suffix at the end of this word. If I can find it here. Do-do-do. Whosoever drinketh, E-T-H. And that little suffix at the end of the word drink means you took a drink, and then you took another drink, and then you took another drink, and then you take another drink. It's a continual action of going back and taking another sip. I, I'm thirsty, but I'm going to drinketh this water, meaning I'm going to drink, and I'm going to keep on drinking. And every time I'm thirsty, I'm going to come back to this same source. Jesus said, if you drink of the well of life, you are never going to be satisfied. But if you drink from me, every time you need something, you come to me, you're going to find something that satisfies. You'll never thirst for anything else again because I'll meet the need. I'll satisfy the longing of your soul. I'll give you, I'll give you clarity about who you are. I'll give you clarity about what you need. If you follow my teaching and my word, you will have peace. You will have joy in the midst of sorrow. You will have a river in the middle of the desert. And eventually, the longer you let the river flow in the desert, the desert will begin to change. It'll take some time because trees don't grow overnight. I love the Word of God because it never promises you a magic wand. It never promises you a snap of the fingers and everything goes back to normal. Jesus talks about rivers in the desert, but then he says, I'm going to plant a tree. So in other words, for a period of time, all there's going to be is river and desert. Sometimes the only thing you're going to have in life is Jesus and your troubles. The troubles will still be there. The harsh reality of your situation will remain the same. But the only difference is there's going to be a river running through the middle of your problem. There's going to be a river running through the middle of your circumstance. And that river is Jesus. And you keep drinking. You keep letting that river flow. You keep letting that river flow. And God said eventually seeds will begin to plant and take root. Uh, because a river can't run through a desert and leave it a desert. Uh, the river will eventually change the desert. Uh, eventually the circumstance will change if you let the river run long enough. John chapter 7. 
Jesus elaborated because he just told this woman, I, I just want you to, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. But later on, Jesus explained how this happens. How, how do I drink Jesus, right? It's not like Gatorade. You can't go to the store and buy a bottle of Jesus. You can't go to the special, specially marked food section of your grocery store and find the river of Jesus in there. It's, that's just not how it's going to work. So, so what is, how, do, how do I get this? How does, it, how does it work? What is Jesus talking about? In, in, in chapter 7, verse 37, the Bible says, In the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me. So he's going to tell you, how do I get this bottle of Jesus? How do I drink this water that Jesus is offering? He says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Obviously, that's not literal. That's metaphoric. It's poetic. It's poetry. And what Jesus is saying is out of your innermost life, out of your inner self is going to flow a river of living water. And verse 39 tells you exactly what he means. This spake he of the Spirit. This, what is this river? It's going to be the Spirit. That they which believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. So the, the, the river is the Holy Ghost. The river is the Spirit of God that flows out of your innermost belly, out of your innermost life, your innermost person, is going to flow this river. God is going to cause a spring of His Spirit to come up out of your innermost person and flow into your life. How does that happen? Well, if you look at the word flow, if you look at the word flow in this verse, the word flow is the word reo in the Greek. Out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. The word flow here is the word reo, which means to flow and uh, to, to run or uh, it, to, um, to just to come out. But in other settings, this word is used to utter, to command, to say, or to speak. And so what Jesus is saying here is, out of your belly shall speak rivers of living water. Out of your innermost person shall, shall utter rivers of living water. So he's tying the flowing of the river, how does the river flow to what you say, what comes out of your mouth. So it's no wonder and it's no strange thing that in Acts chapter 2, when the, the disciples were sitting in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and divided tongues appeared unto them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. They were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit filled them up, and out of their innermost being flowed spoke, came out, commanded, uttered out of their mouth. Uh, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them 
utterance. Can you see the connection between what Jesus promised in John 7 and what happened in Acts chapter 2? Jesus promised, he said, when you get the Spirit, there's going to be a river that's going to flow out of your innermost person. And so in Acts chapter 2, when that promise came true and the Holy Ghost was poured out, the Bible says when they were filled with the Spirit, God caused the Spirit to fill them up to the point that when it got to the mouth, it poured out of their mouth in other tongues uh, the other languages that came out of their mouth later we read in the in the gospels I'm sorry in the epistles uh, where Paul writes to the church he says when you don't know what to pray for as you ought to Romans chapter 8 he says when you when you're struggling to figure out how to pray for this circumstance uh, how to pray for this situation it's so convoluted and complicated and harsh and dry and difficult when you don't know what to do the Spirit will make intercession for you and pray through you with noises that cannot be understood. What he's trying to say is that when you pray in tongues, uh, the Spirit prays for you. The Spirit prays exactly the right prayer. God puts the right things into words uh, and allows you to pray it in tongues uh, through your mouth. You say, this is strange. Uh, This is odd. God said he was going to do a new thing. God said, I'm going to do something that's odd, something that's original, something that's difficult to understand. It's difficult to picture a river in the desert. It's difficult to picture a desert transforming into a luscious garden. But God, if God is the God who promises uh, uh, oasises in the desert uh, and rivers in the desert, then God is the same God uh, who will promise that when you begin to pray in other tongues, uh, as the Spirit gives the utterance, uh, it may not immediately change your desert surroundings, uh, but it causes the river to flow in the middle of your desert. Uh, You can be in the worst situation you've ever been in. And you begin to pray and talk to God about it and feel the Holy Ghost happen to me this week. I began to pray and talk to God about a circumstance, a situation I was faced with. And he began to pray through me in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And there was a river that began to flow. It was like something at the bottom of my feet. My, it felt like my feet were starting to get wet because the river began to flow in my circumstance. And in the middle of my desert, there was peace. In the middle of my problem, there was, did it fix my desert? Not immediately. Did it change all the circumstances around me? No. But it gave me a little bit of water to keep on walking. It gave me a little bit of refreshment to keep on trying, to keep on moving. And that is what the promise of the Spirit is all about. Why do you think we emphasize believers speaking in other tongues? Uh, Why do you think the church, uh, Pentecostals especially, emphasize speaking in other tongues as a spirit getter of the utterance? Because everybody's going through a desert. Everybody at some point in their life is going to face a desert. And the only way you're going to get through the desert, the only way you're going to make it through the desert uh, and come out with joy and with peace uh, and with confidence that God is in control is if you can let the Spirit pray through you and let the Holy Ghost be your river. There is a river this morning. There is 
hope for your situation today. There is a promise that you can receive. You say, I've never spoken in tongues before. It's not complicated. Even though it's a new thing, it's not a complicated thing. The Bible calls it a gift. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's not in something you have to do. You know, you don't have to do 10 jumping jacks to get it. You don't have to say hallelujah 45 times in order to receive it. It's just something that by faith Jesus said, when you believe on me, you're going to receive it. In other words, you've got to come to God and say, I believe because your word says that this gift is for me. It's not just for the spiritually elite. It's not just for a few select people who receive this special gift. It's for everybody, God. And if it's for everybody, then it is so much for me. I am able to receive this. You died. You paid for this gift already. I want to receive it. And with that kind of faith, you can begin to feel the filling of the Spirit. It starts, for me, it started at the top of my head and worked its way down my back and and, and it just a, a sensation that something was coming over me and out of my mouth begin to flow words that I have never learned. I've never been able to interpret or understand them. But by faith, I accepted that what was happening to me in that moment was the Holy Ghost was beginning to pray through me in a way I could not pray for myself. How do I do this, Pastor? How do I get the Holy Ghost? How do I receive this gift of the Holy Ghost? Well, like anything you receive from God, it starts with repentance. If we could stand this morning, I'm going to play and sing for a few minutes. And I want, I'm encouraging you, if you would like to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can do it right in your seat. You can come to the front and pray and receive that gift of the Holy Ghost.